Hello and welcome to the March 2021 edition of the Xcoders Community Podcast. I'm Jared Sorge, and this month I'm welcomed by Leo Dion. How's it going, Leo? Hey, Jared. Glad to be on. Awesome. So this is the uh, epic two-part conclusion uh, of a series that we started on Leo's podcast, Empowering Apps. Uh, we'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. Uh, but Leo, I wanted to just talk a little bit about you and your background. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself for, for all of us who are, are in Seattle? Where, where are you located and, and what, what are you uh, what are you up to? So I'm uh, born and raised and lived here my whole life here in Lansing, Michigan. Um, so it's a nice, uh, what is it? Well, it's above freezing, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> but it's still cold. I've got my tea. It's trying to stay warm here. Um, I got a bachelor's in computer science here at MSU. And then I stayed and did uh, did a graduate degree in uh, digital media and art technology. I'd worked uh, in college. I worked at an ISP. Um, it was about like, yeah, gosh, 20 years ago, uh, helping old ladies set up their Outlook Express for email. (laughs) Um, it was torture, uh, but it paid really well and it got me experience in the technology area Mm -hmm. and then, uh, moved on, worked for the, excuse me. (coughs) (coughs) Moved on and worked for the state for about a year. Um, and then I realized government work wasn't a good fit for me. And then I worked in the <laughs> private industry for about six years, um, doing, uh, like map visualization stuff, uh, doing some stuff in .NET, doing some stuff in flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, uh, eventually they moved us over to Silverlight, and then there's this new device that came out that they want to be able to also support called an iPad. Oh, and interesting. I've heard of those. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's like uh, you can touch it and stuff, and it'll do things. (laughs) Um, It doesn't have a keyboard attached to it. So, yeah, uh, that was my first experience building an app in iOS. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was building an Objective-C app with uh, retains and releases. Yep. Uh, Xcode was not as nice as uh, Visual Studio, and I would also say Objective-C was not as nice as C-sharp. But um, well, that's a whole. There's definitely things I liked about Objective C, but um, uh, yeah, it was it was different. Um, (laughs) so yeah, uh, and then I started my own business about ten years ago, doing kind of like a little bit of everything. But then I've kind of narrowed over into the uh, Apple space, and I've loved Swift ever since Swift came out, and that's pretty much all I dedicate my time to is mostly like Swift uh, and doing consulting, running my podcast, Empower Apps, doing public speaking. Uh, but I've really like deep dive into Swift since Swift's been out in 2014, and it's been fantastic. That's cool. It's funny that you say that even with the huge amounts of language churn that we went through for the first, what, three or so years, uh, going from Swift 1 to 2 to 3 and all the source-breaking changes. To to have loved it from that early on is, is quite the feat. <laughs> I mean, just like Swift was such a breath of fresh, fresh air like i don't i don't want to badmouth objective c because i think there's a lot of good ideas there but like um i was like yeah this language makes sense to me and one of the problems i found with objective c uh, in the latter years was it, it felt like it was adding features to the language to make up for it but they just felt like so unnatural to the language itself like the way blocks were done or um i don't know what else like it just felt it felt odd and whereas in Swift, it just felt a lot more natural and it made a lot more sense uh, when some of those features were brought in. Yeah. So the, the question I would, I would ask to counter that somewhat would be 
how much of that was to support Swift and what would it have looked like if they had added block support in a world without getting ready for Swift or uh, lightweight generics in a world where you didn't have to worry about Swift op- interoperability. Like, could they have built some of those uh, more type safe things in the compiler in a way that would have felt maybe more natural in Objective C because that's what they were continuing to build on? And we won't know. I mean, I think I think it would have broke Objective C. Honestly, like, <laughs> it just it's not a language set up for that. It just isn't. Um, like, people like. If you talk to some of the older folks, not older folks, but people who have been in this space for a long time and have been doing Objective-C and they're like, I hate Swift. Type safety is one of the things they hate about Swift. Um, They like the ability to just be able to throw in an int or a string or whatever, and it just knows how to handle it accordingly or... um, or knows how to convert it properly. Um, you don't get that with Swift. And it, mm-hmm. you sort of, like, I've been doing this for a while. So, like, I've seen, like, the shifts from, oh, I hate type safety. I love type safety. I hate type. Like, it, it just go, comes and goes. Like, especially mm-hmm. with, like, PHP or JavaScript developers. Uh, that kind of stuff goes a bit in and out, like, back and forth. And yeah. so, like, I, I'm not one to say, oh, type safety is great. I probably, if you ask me today, I'd say I like type safety. I've been working with some JavaScript stuff and it's like, I don't want to have to demand, a, I don't want to have to like deal with a linter to tell me like that I'm doing something right. I want it to either work or not work. Like, right. And, and, and so right now, like I like type safety, but I don't know if you ask me in like five years, I might be like, <laughs> oh man, like I hate type safety. It just it slows down my development so much. Yeah, totally. And and really, at the end of the day, the language is just what empowers us to build the apps that we that we want to get in front of people or to to do our our day to day work. Right. It's it's much more about what is the output of your your coding than it is the language and stuff that you're writing in. The language has to be to the end. Right, exactly. Like, uh, just a side note, like, I've been doing a lot of Vue.js with Hardtwitch, and, like, I like Swift better, but the I've found that, like, the flexibility of JavaScript and Vue.js I prefer right now for, like, rapid development over, like, dealing with all the issues with SwiftUI that I deal with. And it's like I get reactive programming, but it feels like there's just so much safety board, like in Swift UI, it slows down my work when I want to just like get something out as quickly as possible. <laughs> so like I I could see that perspective totally. So it's not like it's like you said, it's whatever tool fits for the for the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Heartwitch. That's one of your products. What is what is that? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Heartwitch is a watch OS app plus a web application that um, uses the heart rate sensor on your watch so you can share your heart rate on heart rate on a live stream um, so basically you you can copy a URL uh, from the app or you can either share your browser window and you can put paste that into OBS or whatever streaming platform you're using and it'll automatically hmm. show that on the screen. Interesting. So the idea is that as you're gaming, you can see or or writing some some sweet code, like how what your heart rate is doing at that moment, whether you've just been startled by someone who's shooting in your face or you've gotten something to build and run the first time correctly, like the 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 movements of your heart in that in that process. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. 
Interesting. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, typically you get it like a lot of horror streamers, fitness streamers, uh, folks like that who really um, love the application. So, yeah, recently I did a big upgrade. Um, I monetized it (laughs) because I need to pay for servers somehow. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, so it's got, like, the OBS uh, URL sharing. So now you don't have to share a browser window. You can just paste a URL in OBS and then added more complex styling. I want to add more fitness features. I love some of the stuff that um, Apple Fitness Plus has been doing with their visualizations and I want to see if I could do some of that with hard twitch as well. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot on the, on the docket for what's coming next. So um, maybe I'll share a promo code with uh, your audience so they can, uh, they can try it out for free. That's cool. So what's the, I'm I'm curious about the server side component because I know you've done a little bit of server side Swift. What's uh, what's your server side component written in? It is written in Swift, so it's based on Vapor. It's hosted on Heroku. It uses Postgres for its database, um, basically to like, you know, log in workouts. I don't store any health information because that's the last thing I want to deal with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it just goes straight through to the to your web browser. So I don't like I don't hold on to any of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so styles things like that are all stored in the database, and then. Um, yeah, WebSockets are used for the communication besides the typical REST API. Very cool. H- how have you liked building in, in Vapor? So I, I've done some some Vapor myself. My website's all powered in Vapor uh, as a blog engine. Uh, how, how have you liked Vapor? I've, I've not d- dove into the world of backend databases. They kind of scare the crap out of me, if I'm honest. Uh, so I'm curious how your experience with that has been. I love it. Like I've done database stuff for a long time, so it's not a big deal to me. Like I know SQL like the back of my hand, but like <laughs> um the ORM with Fluent is really nice and the swiftiness of being able to do stuff on the database and do REST APIs is awesome. Mm-hmm. I really like it a lot. Um it it's and, and I think like too like Swift or excuse me. <coughs> And I think too, like the update from Vapor three to Vapor four was really nice because it brought in a lot of like property wrappers and things like that. But um, I found it really easy to get used to uh, to the point where like I've used things like Express. Um, what's the other one that's in popular in JavaScript? I can't remember the name, but it's even simpler than Express. Um, Express is the, the only one that around. I know of. Which what is it? Express is the only one that I know of, but it's been yeah, used there's I've done a- Node. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I've worked with C sharp web API. I've worked with, um, what else? What's the Ruby one? Rails. Sinatra. Soon. Oh, Sinatra. So, well, there's rails and, but Sinatra too. Um, uh, but, uh, I really like it. Like as a Swift developer and, and like one of the things we've talked about on the podcast before when I've had vapor and server site Swift developers on is just, you've got, the codable uh, models that you can share. Mm-hmm. So like with hard Twitch, everything is, I have one Swift package for both my watch app and my uh, server side app. Mm-hmm. And like the watch app is honestly like few lines of code because all my, my, uh, my Swift UI uh, views are all stored in the, in the, in the um, Swift package. Oh, but cool. then also like the server side stuff, I have two separate libraries. I have a library, which is like the core, 
hard twitch stuff and then i have anything that uses vapor in a separate library and i try Mm -hmm. to keep as much in the main package and so like you have all the codable stuff that can be shared by both the watch app and the server side Mm -hmm. and then it makes it really easy for me to run everything through xcode and like test stuff out um because like i can just like I have like a command line app that basically pretends to like be the watch app and it spouts <laughs> out random heart rates. So I can like test easily test the, the web interface without having to like constantly run the app on my watch, which is, if you know anything about watch development, that's a big <laughs> benefit there. So yeah, I really like, um, I really like just being able to use uh, Xcode for my complete development environment. Mm-hmm. Totally. So you mentioned Swift packages there. Have you used Swift package manager for other kinds of automation or, or tools or or in any other interesting ways? Well, we talked in the last recording, the first part about um, argument parser, which I mm-hmm. have really really liked. Um, it just makes it easier to create like a good user interface. And I know when people say user interface, they typically <laughs> think of something graphical, but I think like. With command line tools, they're an interface all in and of itself that we have to think about because yeah, people totally. have to know how to like, you know, get, it's like, do I check out? Do I reset? What do, how do I do a merge? How do I do a squash? <laughs> like all that stuff, like that's an interface and it argument parser makes that a lot easier to make a friendly user interface for your audience um, and also provide documentation and help and things like that. So that's what I've really <laughs> loved. Um, and then as far as like Swift package manner, a lot of it has been uh, playing around with continuous integration and getting that working and working with things like uh, Swift package index. So like my package is easily usable and easily maintainable by other folks out there. Very cool. So can you give me an example of, of a Swift package that, that, that you've done that, uh, that people could go and, and check out and, and use and contribute to? Sure. So I um, refactored a lot of the CloudKit code that I was using. I was actually using CloudKit on the server um, with HeartTwitch because I wanted people to be able to easily link up their watch um, with their login. Um, So I created a Swift package so you can do CloudKit on the server. Uh, and it's called miskit yeah it uses the cloud kit the cloud kit rest api which is actually not as poorly documented as you'd think (laughs) um to be able to uh uh so people can like basically add their watch when they load the app and it'll automatically Mm -hmm. pull up on the web interface and you can like link your watch to your account um and so i uh i have created a separate swift package for that if you go to miskit probably miss I I bought a bunch of domains for it, but I think even MST, let me see if this works. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try Miss Kit. <laughs> I have, I bought like a bunch of domains for it, but basically it's a Miss Kit under bright digit and GitHub and we'll put, yeah, link. Okay. Help. Um, but I, um, have done a lot with like GitHub workflows, um, uh, and GitHub actions there. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting it to work in Mac OS, getting it to work in Ubuntu, getting it to work on ARM. There's a way I can test out ARM, uh, getting it to work That's with cool. Travis CI. How have uh, you liked GitHub Actions overall? That's something I still, I still want to dive into. Yeah, it's perfect for like, we talked about it in the previous part, but it's perfect for like your open source project and just being able to to get it to work. And like I can set up build matrices for different versions of Mac OS and Xcode. Um, and 
yeah, I, I really like it a lot uh, as far as um, just getting a public open source repo testable uh, on GitHub. That's very cool. Do you have any other uh, products or projects that that you uh, that you work on? Yeah. So in the previous part, we talked about automation and one tool that I've built to help automate some of my builds uh, is Speculate, which has been out you know, for a few years and it's available through homebrew. Uh, and hmm. I got it in the app store recently. Um, but I've started like thinking about an easier way to redesign it. The way the app works is it automates the building of image sets and app icons. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but I don't like build a separate graphic for each iPhone <laughs> size and version. Um, and so what Speculate does is you can give it a SVG file and it'll automatically export it to your uh, asset catalog for you. Okay. Can it work with other input formats or is it SVG exclusive? It uh, SVG and PNG are the ones that okay. it works for now. Um, cool. I haven't been able to figure out how to crack open a sketch file Um so I don't know if anybody out there wants to help with that, feel free to let me know. Uh, but SVG works, um, which is, which is good. Cause it's a vector format. So mm-hmm. like whatever you export to, it's still going to look uh, perfect quality essentially. So you give it an SVG file, you give it a path to your app icon folder and mm-hmm. automatically export it and be able to know, Oh, this, you know, you're supporting Mac OS or iOS or watch OS or CarPlay. It'll mm-hmm. automatically export all those sizes for you. Uh, i'm starting to like rethink that and figure out a way to like have a whole entire like a project file kind of similar to what we talked about previously uh with uh xcode gen but kind of like Mm -hmm. an xcode gen for asset catalogs Um, Hmm. and so that's like i started working on some ui ideas for that and just being able to like set up a whole project for an xcat uh for a asset catalog based on like a group of svg files essentially that's an interesting idea hmm and does it handle like the automatic rounding of corners on the Mac OS, uh, the icons? Because I know like the Big Sur icons are different um, than the Catalina icons were. And on iOS, like we submit squares because the system rounds them for you. But on Mac OS, you have to round them yourselves because Mac, Mac OS doesn't do that. Can Speculate handle that? Not yet, but okay. I'm sure it's not going to be as big of a deal. Um, the other thing I want to be able to do is like kind of like some sort of like CSS selector. So that way you hmm. can say, Hey, for Mac OS round these corners and give it a mm-hmm. white background for iOS. Just give it a square for this platform. Do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or like one thing you've seen is like people want to do separate icons for beta or for like, yep. you know, alpha and things like that. So that's one of the things that's kind of like in my bucket list is just being able to do like, selectors of some sort and apply different filters mm-hmm. um to your icons so that way you have like one universal svg file and all it has to do is apply a background and and round corners and you're good to go hmm, that's super cool yeah i'll i'll, I'll check it out and i'd be interested to see where where you end up taking it yeah i've well i'm gonna post i'll post a tweet about um some of the like some of the stuff i'm working on with speculate and uh maybe you can share that with your audience uh when i yeah, have definitely. picture pictures up of what i'm looking at right now but yeah so it's just basically a swift ui document app in mac os mm-hmm. um and then moving that over from its current format which is just one single app icon or one single image set to more like a project-based thing mm-hmm. kind of similar to uh, xcode gen or something like that mm-hmm how have you liked working in SwiftUI to build Mac apps? 
one of my uh biggest challenges is like the lack of guidance as far as building a good interface on the Mac with Swift UI because a lot of the human interface guidelines use old AppKit controls. Mm -hmm. And so like I don't have the handholding that I have um, <laughs> when it comes to UI design with Swift UI because you could basically do anything you want, whether you like it or not. And that, yeah. that can be a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you built any Mac apps in Swift UI? <clears throat> so the new app that I'm working on is it's mostly Swift UI. There's it, it's a text editor. Based on the platform you're on, I do wrap an NX or UI text view because it's cross-platform iOS and Mac. Mm -hmm. um, but the Mac bits are largely Swift UI. Like I built a the menu support that's all in Swift UI. Um and it's been it's been interesting. I haven't really run into that many issues with it so far, but my UI is super lightweight on the whole. Yeah, and that's the thing about hard twitch. Um uh somebody had asked online about like Swift UI documentation for the watch. On the watch, like Swift UI is a godsend. Like there is <laughs> I feel like I don't lose anything on the watch when it comes to Swift UI. Whereas mm -hmm. like um because I just I never miss WatchKit. There's nothing to miss about WatchKit. Um, <laughs> whereas with like iOS or Mac OS, like I feel like, oh man, I wish I had this thing from UIKit, or especially Mac OS, I wish I had this thing from AppKit, because mm -hmm. there's such a long history there of of doing things that you lose that when you go over to Swift UI. At least right now you do, and I'm sure in the future it's not going to be the case. So. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely kind of the feel I've gotten with developing on Mac OS versus Watch OS. Yeah, there's definitely a much longer and richer history of developing on the Mac with AppKit uh than there is on the Watch with WatchKit for instance. And like they never really supported that stuff on the Watch super well as I understand. I haven't built a Watch app myself other than one little app that like played a sound effect when you tapped a button for a Halloween costume several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> when I, I was I was Jared the Galleria of Jewelers and I, I <laughs> the button tap you ta I tapped the button and it would do the it can only be Jared jingle. <laughs> and that was it. Was it in the app store? Oh no 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 that was oh, just for me. Come on Apple. <laughs> I never even remember, tried this. Remember when it. you could put fart apps on the app store? <laughs> Why? Oh, man. Now you can't do that on the watch. <laughs> That's awesome. So are there any other uh, projects that you've done with Swift Package Manager and automation? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Um, so I've got a talk in April for Swift Heroes on Swift Package Manager that I'll be giving. And um, I kind of have been working on like automating a lot of the stuff that I was talking about with getting set up for continuous integration and your readme and your badges and your license, all that stuff that people hmm. have to do, or even like a vapor app or a, a aug argument parser. Um, so I built, uh, speaking of fun names, I built a... Uh, <laughs> A command line tool right now called Eggseed that I'm kind of like working on when I have time, um, and I'm trying to work on making making a, a Swift UI Mac app. But what I'd like to do is like automate a lot of the stuff you have to do when you set up a Swift package to get it like working and testable, and hmm. all the different features you want to add to it that I talk about in my talk mm -hmm. um, into a Swift package, not just the typical Swift in it stuff, but like 
set up your GitHub workflow, set up your README, set up your license, set up mm-hmm. your, maybe you want to support CocoaPods. There's tools out there like Commodore and Rocket, for instance, if you want to set up Git hooks. Um, and so, yeah, I've started working on that uh, just to be able to like, hey, I want to get a Vapor app up and running quick. Okay, great. Here, so here's a GUI <laughs> for setting all that stuff up. Um, That's cool. And then it creates the Swift package for you. So definitely check, check out that uh, when you have time. Yeah, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, with Vapor, a couple of years ago, I did something similar to that as I was uh, containerizing my Vapor app. And I just made like a little hello world thing that's got a Docker file in it and and the commands that you can run locally so you can spin up a Vapor app in a Docker container pretty easily. Um, I haven't updated it in a while. So it's still on like Vapor 3 and Swift probably 4.2, I think. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like thinking about we work in these environments like vapor or or xcode projects but the there's there's so much scaffolding that goes around them to get them set up just the way that you want them to be that it's helpful to have those tools to set up the scaffolding <laughs> right mm-hmm. and that's where this like next level of project comes in yeah or at least get you started and then if you want to customize it go ahead and customize it yeah totally so one thing i've been asking uh, people is what what you're excited to see from Apple in 2021. Uh, as we record, it's uh, March 16th, and we've only had discontinuations so far of the iMac Pro and HomePod. So we've got lots of uh, new announcements, hopefully on the horizon. And I'm curious what uh, what's got you excited? <sighs> Maybe a new iMac, mm. um, an M1 iMac. I'm about like 80 percent sure I'm going to buy a new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though this one's probably only two years old, um, <laughs> I love the M1 stuff so much. It's like it's a bargain to buy it now, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as developer stuff, yeah, just like more Xcode. Just keep getting Xcode better, um, and um, just fix a lot of those bugs in Xcode. I don't know about <laughs> you, but like all the different things I run into where it either crashes especially the integration with Swift Package Manager um, and things like that, I, I'd like to see uh, improved upon. But I don't, I, I kind of hope it's a quiet year because uh, I think like, I, I just want bug fixes this mm-hmm. year, if anything, and better documentation in a lot of places. Um, <laughs> that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I, I can I can see that for sure. And I know I've talked about this the last few episodes of the show, but I'm so excited about the M1 and the Apple Silicon uh, roadmap and, and to see where it might go next um the the new laptops can't come out fast enough for me that's going to be so good to get the new macbook pros that's that's probably the thing that i'm looking forward to the most yeah i i love my macbook air it's amazing mm. it's like so much better i had a my macbook pro is like at least six years old and it was like such a breath <laughs> of fresh air um and like it definitely competes with the iMac uh, that I use. Uh, oh yeah, times. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that's a pretty powerful machine in and of itself. I just miss the big display, if anything, on my like when I'm using the MacBook Air, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it is my introduction to Sidecar, which I've I've liked that. So that's pretty. cool. I still need to give that an honest shot. I've tried it a couple of times, but it's like always, at least at the beginning, kind of like hitched things and made it made stuff run a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I need to give it an actual shot at some point. Uh, it's definitely on my plan. Yeah, and I like Touch ID on the MacBook Air. Like, oh yeah, 
I have a new, it's a new Mac like laptop that I haven't, I haven't owned a new Mac laptop in five years. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, this is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and the keyboard works. So that's fantastic. <laughs> you skipped I, the I skipped that generation. whole generation. Yeah. I was like, really, I was like, I have no desire uh, to deal with that. And uh, yeah. And I don't have a touch bar, which probably they're going to get rid of. So that's the rumor. Uh, yeah, I really like it. And I was like, I'm not spending 200 extra bucks for a, for a fan. It's just not worth it to me. Like, <laughs> I have the iMac. My iMac is my big, massive machine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I don't depend on my laptop. But I've been using I've been enjoying using it a lot. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you for joining the show. This is a lot of fun, Leo. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next month.